Days 6, 7, and 8 of Think Well on It by Bishop Richard Challoner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixth Day On the Happiness of Serving God Consider first these words of the prophet Isaiah. Say to the just man, it is well. Isaiah 3 And reflect on the manifold advantages which this sort of word well comprises and ensures to be the just, both for time and eternity. Honor, riches, and pleasure are the things on which the world sets the greatest value, but they are not to be found where the world seeks them, but only in the service of God. Can any honor upon earth be compared to that of being a servant, a friend, an adopted son of the great King of Heaven? Such a soul is far more dignified in the eyes of God and his angels than the greatest emperor in the universe. She is a child of the Eternal Father, a spouse of the eternal Son, a temple of the eternal Spirit, heiress of the kingdom of heaven, and sister and companion to the angels. O my soul, let such honors as these be the only object of thy ambition. Consider, secondly, that the truest riches are to be found in the service of God, not indeed always those worldly possessions which are attended with so many cares and fears, and daily exposed to so many accidents, and which are not capable of satisfying the heart, but the inestimable treasure of the grace of God, which is the seed of everlasting glory, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the love of God, in a word, God himself, whom the world cannot take from the soul, unless she be so miserably blind as to force him away by mortal sin. Add to this the fatherly providence of God, whose eyes are continually fixed upon the just, to watch over their welfare, that his angels always encamp about them, to guard them by night and by day. Psalm 33, 8. That as he formerly said to Abraham, Genesis 15, he himself is their protector, and their reward exceeding great. He is their friend, the best of friends, the shepherd of their souls, who leads them out to his admirable pastures, to the fountain of living waters. His tenderness towards them is beyond that of a father, nay, beyond that of the tenderest mother. Isaiah forty nine fifteen sixteen. In a word, God is all things to those that fear him. O my soul, seek no other treasure than him. Fear nothing but the losing him. If thou hast him, nothing can make thee miserable, but without him nothing can make thee happy. Consider thirdly the pleasure that attends a virtuous life, the satisfaction, peace, and joy of a good conscience, which by the wise man is compared to a continual banquet, the consolations of the Holy Spirit, the comfortable expectation of a happy eternity after our exits out of this vale of tears, a holy confidence in the protection and providence of God, and a perfect conformity in all things to his blessed will. From these fountains flow such delights as cannot be conceived by worldlings who have no experience of them, pleasures pure and spiritual, which sweeten all the crosses of life, are an unspeakable comfort in death, and carry with them a certain foretaste of the immortal joys of heaven, whereas all worldly pleasures, like the world itself, are false and delusive, always besprinkled with bitterness, attended by uneasiness, followed with remorse, and at last terminates in eternal sorrow. Consider fourthly the saying of our Savior, One thing is necessary, Luke 10.42, and what is that one thing? O oh, my soul, 
which alone can make thee happy both here and hereafter. It is to serve thy God and to provide in earnest for eternity. As time compared to eternity, less than nothing, so are all temporal concerns, if compared with the concerns of eternity. This, in reality, is the only business. If thou art careful of this, all is well, but if thou neglect it, all is lost and lost forever. As for all other things of which thou mayest stand in need of in this life, give ear again to the same Savior. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be given to you over and above. Conclude then, my soul, since both thy temporal and eternal welfare depend on serving God, to make this for the future thy only care. Thus only shalt thou meet true comfort here, Thus only shalt thou come to never-ending happiness. Seventh Day on Death Consider first that there is nothing more certain than death. It is appointed for all men once to die, and after that judgment. This sentence is general. It is pronounced on all the children of Adam. Neither wealth, nor strength, nor wisdom, nor all the power of this world can exempt anyone from this common doom. From the first moment of our birth we hasten to death. Every moment brings it nigher to us. The day will come, it will certainly come, and God only knows how soon, when we shall never see the night. Or the night will come, when we shall never see the ensuing morning. The day will most certainly come, when thou, my soul, must bid a long farewell to this cheating world, and all thou hast admired herein, and even to thy own body, the individual companion of thy life, and take thy flight to another country, where all that thou settest a value upon here will vanish like smoke. Learn then to despise this miserable world, with all its enjoyments with which thou must part so soon, whether thou wilt or not. Consider, secondly, that as nothing is more certain and inevitable than death, so nothing is more uncertain than the time, the place, the manner, and all other circumstances of our death. O my soul, says St. Francis of Sales, Thou must one day depart with this body. But when shall that day be? Shall it be in winter or in summer, in the city or in the country, by day or by night? Shall it be suddenly or on notice given thee? Shalt thou have leisure to make thy confession? Shalt thou have the assistance of thy ghostly father? Alas, for all this thou knowest nothing at all, only that it is certain that thou must die, and that... As it almost always happens, thou must die much sooner than thou dost imagine. Consider thirdly, that death being so certain, and the time and manner of it so uncertain, it would be no small comfort if a man could die more than once, that so, if he had the misfortune once to die ill, he might repair the fault by being more careful a second time. But alas, we can die but once. For when once we have set our foot within the gates of eternity, there is no returning back. If we die once well, it will be always well. But if once ill, it will be ill with us for all eternity. O dreadful moments, on which depends an endless eternity. O blessed Lord, prepare us for that fatal hour. Consider fourthly the folly and stupidity of the greatest part of mankind, who, though they daily see some or other of their friends, acquaintance or neighbors carried off by death and that very often suddenly in the vigor of youth yet always imagine death to be at a distance from them 
as if those arrows of death which are falling on all sides of them would not reach them too in their turn, or as if they had a greater security than so many others who are daily swept away. Senseless worldlings, why will you not open your eyes? Why will you fondly imagine yourselves secure from the stroke of death, when you cannot so much as promise yourselves one single day of life? How many will die before the end of this month, that are as young, as vigorous, and as healthy as you are? And who knows, but you may be of that number. Ah, Christians, take care, lest you be surprised. Set your house in order, and for the future avoid sin, the only evil which makes death terrible. Live always in those dispositions in which you would gladly be found at the hour of death. To act otherwise is to renounce both religion and reason. Consider fifthly the state and condition of this corruptible body of ours. As soon as we are dead, alas, it immediately becomes pale, stiff, lonesome, and hideous, insomuch that our dearest friends can scarce endure to watch one night in the same room with it, much less bear to lie with it in the same bed, for so fast does it tend to stench and corruption, that its nearest relations are the first to wish it out of the house, and to lay it deep underground, that it may not infect the air. But what companions, what attendants must it there meet with? Worms and maggots, for these, O man, thou art pampering thy body. These are to be thy inheritance, O man, or rather, they are to inherit thee. Whatever thou art today, tomorrow thou wilt be the food of worms. Ah, worldlings, that are enamored with your own, or the beauty of others, and thereby too often draw from your allegiance to God, vouchsafe for once to reflect upon the condition to which both you and they must soon be reduced, and you will see what little reason you have to fix your affections upon such painted dunghills, which quickly betray what they are, and end in noisomeness and corruption. You read that St. Francis Borgia was so affected with the bare sight of the ghastly countenance of the Empress Isabel after her death, whom he had seen a little before in all her majesty and charms, as to conceive an eternal disgust of this world, and a happy resolution of consecrating himself wholly to the service of that king who never dies. Let the like consideration move us to the like resolution. Eighth day, on the sentiments we shall have at the hour of death. Consider first, Christian soul, what thy sentiments will be at the hour of death with regard to this world, and all its perishable goods, vain honors, false riches, and cheating pleasures. Alas, the world must then end in thy regard. It will turn upside down before thy eyes, and thou wilt begin to see clearly the nothingness of all those things on which thou hast here set thy heart. How wilt thou then despise all worldly honors and preferments? When thou seest thyself at the brink of the grave, where the worms will make no distinction between the king and the beggar, how little account wilt thou then make of the esteem of men, who then will think no more of thee? How wilt thou undervalue thy riches, which must now be left behind thee, when six foot of land, a coffin, and a shroud will be all thy possessions? How despicable will all worldly pleasures then seem to thee, which at the best could never give thee any true satisfaction, and which thou now beholdest to fly from thee, and to dissolve into smoke? Ah, my poor soul, 
enter now into the same sediments which thou shalt certainly have at the hour of thy death as thus and thus only shalt thou be out of danger of being deceived by this deceitful world consider secondly what will then be thy thoughts with regard to thy sins when the curtain with which thy busy self-love has industriously hidden or disguised the deformity and malice of thy crimes shall be withdrawn and all thy sins shall be set before thy eyes in their true light when so many things which thou wast willing to persuade thyself were but small faults or none at all will present themselves before thee in other colors as great and hideous offenses when that false conscience which thou hast framed to thyself and under the cover of which thou hast passed over many things in thy confessions as slight and inconsiderable which thou wast ashamed to declare or unwilling to forsake shall no longer be able to maintain itself at the approach of death ah what anguish what confusion what dreadful temptations of despair must such a sight as this give to the dying sinner learn then my soul to take better measures now in time and thus to prevent so great a misery consider thirdly and take a nigher view of the lamentable state of a sinner at the hour of his death when all things seem to conspire against him in whichsoever way he looks for any ease or comfort he can find none before his eyes he sees a whole army of sins mustered up a viper's brood of his own offspring which stick close to him and assailing him with their united force make him already begin to feel the gripes of that never-dying worm of conscience which shall be the eternal torment of the damned oh how gladly would he shake off this troublesome company but all in vain they are resolved not to leave him if he look back into his past life to seek for some good works to oppose this army of sins alas he finds the good that he has done has been so inconsiderable so insignificant as to give him no hopes of its weighing down the scales when balanced with his multiplied crimes his very prayers and the confessions and communions he has made fly now in his face and upbraid him with his wretched negligence and sacrilegious abuse of these great means of salvation the sight of all things about him his wife his children his friends his worldly goods which he has loved more than god serve for nothing now but to increase his anguish and what is his greatest misery is that the agonies of his sickness give him little or no leisure or ability to apply himself seriously to the greatest and most difficult of all concerns which is a perfect conversation to god after a long habit of sin oh how truly may the sinner now repeat these words of the psalmist the sorrows of death have encompassed me and the perils of hell have found me psalm one fourteen oh what unspeakable anguish must it be to see himself just embarking upon eternity an infinite and endless duration an immense ocean to whose further shore the poor sailor can never reach and to have so much reason to fear it will be to him an eternity of woe consider fourthly my soul what thy sentiments will be at the hour of thy death with relation to the service of god and to virtue and devotion how lovely will the way of virtue then appear to thee 
how wilt thou then wish to have followed that charming path oh what satisfaction is it to a dying man to have lived well what a comfort to see himself now at the end of all his labors and dangers to find himself at the gates of eternal rest of everlasting peace after a long and doubtful war he may now securely come down from his watchtower and repose himself for ever in the kingdom of his father oh what a pleasure what a joy to look forward into that blessed eternity oh how precious in the sight of god is the death of his saints psalm 115 ah let my soul die the death of the just and let my last end be like to theirs numbers 23 christians if we would die the death of the just we must live the life of the just the only security for a good death is a good life consider fifthly or rather conclude from the foregoing considerations on death to make it the whole business of your life to prepare for death upon dying well depends nothing less than a happy eternity if we die ill we are lost and lost for ever as then we came into the world for nothing else but to provide for eternity so we may truly say we came into the world for nothing else but to learn to die well this is the great lesson which we must all study alas if we miss it when we are called to a trial an endless duration of woe must be the necessary consequence ah how hard it is to learn to perform that well which can be done but once end of days six seven and eight